Um, so I'm Kate, yep, as Rebecca said, the youth and young adults pastor here. I've been on staff for just over two months now. I'm loving getting to know people here, um, meeting lots of welcoming and very interesting people. Needless to say, I already feel like you're my family, which means that you're all doing something right. Um, one thing I love is that I don't feel like we're all trying to suss each other out and try and work each other out. There's no kind of mind games going on. But I do know that I'm not able to talk to all of you for a lot of time, so I thought I'd let you get to know me a little bit more with um, something I'm passionate about. So I love words. Uh, you won't have to spend much time with me before I ask you if you fancy a game of Bananagrams or Snatch or Articulate or Scrabble. I love reading. I've got a silly amount of lyrics stored away in my memory. And like all of us, I love a good pun. Um, some current favourites are a hairdresser's I saw called Curl Up and Die. Um, my local kebab van in Bristol in, in uni was called Jason's Donovan. Um, and, there's, and there's one in London I saw which is called Halal. Is it meat you're looking for? <laughs> I also can be a bit of, ped, a, bit of a pedant with words. Uh, in fact, in Bristol, I was a sub-editor for the student newspaper as I could find all those pesky grammatical issues. I've proofread a few dissertations and now sometimes Rebecca lets me at the church newsletter with my keen eye. Um, and I'm sure, like many of you here, an apostrophe in the wrong place kind of brings me up in a rash. Um, I'm passionate about words and when there is a word somewhere that doesn't belong, I spot it like a radar. Another thing about me is that I can be quite quick-witted, if I do say so myself. In fact, I've been known to be called blunt, which isn't really my favourite compliment. <laughs> so when you introduce um, a love of words to a quick wit, you can often find yourself guilty of dishing out some quite intense banter. But today I want to undermine the banter, and I want to promote encouragement. I'm sure we've all found ourselves in an atmosphere of banter, whether that's at the kitchen table, it's in the office, it's around old friends, or it's over coffee before or after church. <laughs> and it is pretty funny until we maybe find ourselves as the victim of the banter, which just goes that bit far. You know those moments when someone highlights that quirky thing about you and makes a joke out of it, but what they don't know is that that quirk is the exact thing that you're currently feeling just a little sensitive about. From things as small as trying out a new hairstyle, or to something bigger like your eating habits or your current state of employment, but how about the moment when someone speaks a word um, about something, a kind word about something you've been working on, whether that's a new pursuit or something in your character? An example of what I mean by that is, if God has convicted you that you've not been prioritising service or solitude over the last series, and you've been really working on it and asking God to help you with it, and then um, someone notices it and they comment on it with an encouragement, it can just really spur you on in that. Um, when I was at school, I was watching the Great West Run in Exeter one Sunday morning, and I saw a PE teacher in the crowd, and I gave her a big cheer. And then the next day at school, she said that she really believed that that cheer knocked about 10 minutes off her time, because it encouraged her to pick up her pace, and it just gave her that boost after kind of a lot of running with no, no, no specific encouragement to her. Who are you cheering on? Whose life are you on the sidelines of? And what they need to hear is just that shout of encouragement. Please know that today's preach isn't just about learning how to say nice things to each other, like a kind of spiritual back rub where we feel all warm and fuzzy. It's not fridge magnet theology where we read a sweet or funny message every now and again, but it makes no real difference to our lives. 
I mean, fridge pickers wear big knickers. Has never stopped anyone having a cheeky slice of cheesecake at 9 pm, has it? But I know some of you have got that magnet on your fridge. Um, rather, this is, this is boot camp. This is kind of tough mudder ultramarathon theology, which can feel hard and it can take some training. But ultimately, it will bring us into greater spiritual fitness. It will have us ready to stand strong and run further with God, even over unknown or unpleasant terrain. Maybe you'll see what I mean as we unpack a verse from God's word, which uses some quite extreme words to communicate an extreme point. So Proverbs is a book in the Bible that is full of sayings that, as it lays out in chapter 1, are they're for attaining wisdom, they're for gaining understanding, becoming disciplined, and essentially aligning your heart and mind with God's. So Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I read this to mean that my tongue, our tongues, carry the ability to speak death or life. Can we really cause death by something we say? Not in the extreme meaning of, you know, does my banter murder someone, but more in the way that when we speak discouragement, banter or criticism, it does begin to kill things. It can kill joy. Words can kill creativity. They can stunt the growth of an idea. They can destroy a dream. It can knock confidence. What about the other extreme? Do my kind sentiments in a birthday card once a year cause new life to bloom? No one has ever got impregnated by a kind word, but words of life, encouragement, affirmation and supportive words can spark an idea. They can bring about the hope in someone that they've been longing for. They can flip the way someone sees themselves and actually impregnate someone with joy. So actually we can speak things into existence or we can kill them. The message version says, words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Now, I'm yet to meet anyone I'd actively like to poison, and I hope that we're all in the same boat. But I do believe that negative words, discouraging words, and critical words are a form of poison, and I think the Bible is saying that to us here. Words of death are a drip feed of poison that we have the power to put a stop to. We can change the input from poison to fruit. I don't know, imagine a patient on an IV drip. The doctor is the one with the power to fill the drip bag and decide whether to put in a remedy or an irritant. A good doctor would, of course, fill that bag with medicine and not poison. And we have that power in our tongues with our words. That's what this proverb is saying. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We have the power. If we're, if we're the ones with the tongue, then it means it's down to us um, as to whether we're speaking life or death into people, into situations, and even into ourselves. But it can be incredibly hard. When we're up against it, when we're really struggling to see the gold in someone, and when we're rife with our own insecurities, it can feel easier and more natural to just spurt out a frustration or a disappointment. So how can we speak words of life into these hard times, in our low moments? The thing about this is it's very, very hard to do in our own strength, because hurt people hurt people. But there is hope, because loved people love people. So what is God saying to us? What words of life has God said to us that give us energy and security to pay it forward and love others with our words? How can we receive love so that we can pour it out? So, Jesus. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, um, Jesus was baptised, which I just find quite an odd concept. Anyway, but it did happen, he was baptised. Um, so he's just been baptised, but he's not yet found his disciples, he's not hosted just you know, this huge picnic miracle, 
He's not healed people with lifelong illnesses, and he definitely hasn't fulfilled his, his big calling um, to die for us. Yet, at this baptism, Jesus' dad's voice came down from heaven to affirm him, to encourage him, and to speak life into him. This is my son, whom I love with him, I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't yet done or accomplished anything yet, but the father was pleased with him, just as he was. And it was from that place of confidence, affirmation and identity, I believe, that Jesus could go out into the world. And in fact, his first stop after this baptism was a 40-day wilderness. How Jesus would have been expected to survive in a 40-day wilderness without those life-giving words going around his head, I don't know. And then at the end of his ministry, in his agonising moment on the cross, he was still speaking words of life to one of the rebels being crucified next to him. Today you will be with me in paradise. Literally speaking life into this guy who's about to die. You're going to be with me in paradise. This is another level of speaking life. When he's in that much pain, which you just can't imagine, for him to still be able to give out to someone else. That's our saviour, that's Jesus. This isn't a spiritual back rub. What is our foundation as we do this? It's the love of God and all the words that came through that worship um, were so poignant to that. You know, Viv's words that she just needed to hear that the love of God is enough. That's what it was for Jesus and that's what it can be for us as well. Um, Whilst reading around this topic this week, I found an observation from Pope John, do I say two or the second? Or I, I... Second, Pope John II, Pope John Paul II, um, he, said, he said something about um, everyone's favourite Catholic, Mother Teresa, so he said of her, here he is, where did Mother Teresa find the strength and perseverance to place herself completely at the service of others? She found it in prayer and in the silent contemplation of Jesus Christ, his holy face, his sacred heart. Are you spending time praying and in the silent contemplation of Jesus Christ, his holy face, his sacred heart? At this point, I do want to release us all from the notion of private time spent with God as having to be quiet time. It doesn't need to be a silent contemplation of Jesus Christ. I am not regularly doing a quiet, quiet time. Um, very, yeah, but I think that we all get the point of what, what Pope meant about Mother Teresa. So, I said earlier that this is not about just giving spiritual back rubs, but actually boot camp level discipleship, speaking words of life that change atmosphere and herald in the kingdom of God. A few weeks ago, in an all-age service, when Aid had us uh, write down some encouragements for people on the table around us on yellow pieces of card, I don't know if you remember it, we had that exercise, and in my group, we passed them around to each other, and I know that some people took them home and read them, but we just kind of opened them up there and then and read them. And we'd already gone through it with the encouragements. And people's faces, as they kind of digested this goodness, showed the difference these words were making. You could see the life come into their eyes. How about the people in your context? Colleagues, parents at the school gate, your kids, people that make you coffee, scan your groceries. If you see the boredom, the pain, or the numbness in their eyes and their body language, could you speak a word just to boost them? to encourage them, or maybe even transform their day. I was so inspired by a holiday I recently had in America, where my American hosts were genuinely kind to service staff. Um, The catchphrase I noticed them use a lot was, I appreciate that. You know, someone would do something for them and say, oh, thank you, I appreciate that. And and it just really struck me that I, 
I never tell people that serve me at checkouts or cafes that I appreciate what they've done for me. Like, sure, I'll say thank you and I'll use polite manners, but I've grown up in a culture where the mentality is that I'm paying someone for their service and that's the exchange. Their skills for my money, I pay them, they give me something back. But to actively appreciate their service is another level for me. And I've started just saying it to people in the UK now and they're not really used to it. But <laughs> I, can, I can see that it is building them up when it kind of starts to take root in them. And you just say, oh, oh, thank you, I appreciate that. Or I appreciate you for doing that for me. And it's just having that kind of mentality. So, if we uh, maybe imagine that every individual represents a building which starts being constructed at birth, what if every interaction that we have with a person is either adding a brick or taking away a brick? What if we can decorate the building or we can erode it? I want to live a life where I am on the interior design team of people's lives, and the things I say might be adding in a tasteful scatter cushion or a fresh lick, giving it a fresh lick of paint. I don't want to be causing dry rot or rusting the metalwork in their life. That's what this verse is about, building people up to become more of who God wants them to be and using our God-given power to bring life to dry and barren places. Are your words building or are they demolishing? The heart of the gospel is a sacrificial act of love done for people who had flaws and needed a saviour. It was an act which had life at the centre and was God breathing that life into us. As we follow Jesus and take on his mannerisms, we will mimic the act of bringing light to darkness and life to lifeless places. And some of that shining the light in the darkness will be done with our words. And for me, that is so exciting. <laughs> that is the ministry that we carry, the speaking words of life, and bringing light into dark places and into dark hearts. So how can we apply this proverb to our everyday, ordinary lives? It is hard to initiate an encouragement when you've tried it before and been laughed at. It's hard to initiate a word of life when it's in a context which doesn't really go that deep or is maybe even an atmosphere of banter. It's hard to be strong enough to stop the flow of poison and offer up some fruit. It's hard for me to be vulnerable with my family who only ever really see the sarcastic side of me. It can feel foreign to suddenly speak what feels like another language. But do you know what? We are foreign people who belong to a different kingdom and as citizens of heaven, we will have times when people look at us like we're speaking double Dutch. But it doesn't matter if it feels any of those things once you're prepared for it and are confident that the spirit you are walking in is life-giving. When God asks something of us, we need to have a spirit that responds before sin tries to catch up and give us all the reasons why it's not going to be beneficial to the flesh. We're people walking by the spirit, not by the flesh, so let's submit to that. How can we change atmospheres? What's amazing with this is that God has given us the power. I want us to think about the church's verse of the year, which is what? Oh, are we a bit rusty? January and February, let's bring it into April, <laughs> boom, it's here. So, I'd like us to zone in on the three elements mentioned here by Paul in his letter to Timothy, the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So firstly, a spirit of power, instead of one of fear. How could that help us to choose life when we open our mouths? Well, it means that we can be bold and confident in using our tongue to speak life. 
We can open our lips and trust that powerful words will come out and be life-giving. When we are feeling weak and are scared that we might say something that comes over cringy, then we can be confident and bold to use that power to rock someone's world. Think about a situation where you could practice this. How about after some mandatory staff training delivered by Dave at work? You see Dave afterwards in the canteen at lunch and you maybe could go and say something like, Hey, Dave, that training you just delivered to us all was amazing. I really feel like I learned X, Y or Z. And without you, I might not have been able to move forward with, um, with a client I'm currently working with. Can you imagine saying that over the, you know, I don't know, chicken nuggets or whatever you might choose that day? Rather than just kind of a tired, oh, cheers Dave, as you leave the, the training. I guarantee that it would change the work environment. How about calling the gold out of someone rather than highlighting the muck? I used to work in a secondary school and there was a behaviour manager called Mr Lynch. <laughs> he was a bit of a force to be reckoned with. Um, and, but, and if you misbehave, he was a bit of a force to be reckoned with if you misbehaved. But unfortunately for the perpetrator, he was the teacher's third port of call when the student couldn't be managed inside the classroom. I had the pleasure of taking my student to Mr Lynch's office one day when he had misbehaved and I was left speechless by the Lynch's technique. He asked the boy what had happened and after hearing the story, he asked the boy if he was a kind boy, if he was a good boy. The student replied that yes, he was a kind boy and yes, he was a good boy. And then Mr Lynch laid into him lovingly um, <laughs> that a kind and good boy would not act in a way that he was acting and that he should be true to himself. It was remarkable really, instead of telling him um, that he was bad or a naughty boy, Mr Lynch highlighted the core of who he was and showed that if he was kind on the inside, then he could be kind on the outside. When you speak to your children about their behaviour, or um, when I speak to friends who aren't living the way that matches their children, a great phrase, sorry, matches their children, matches their core identity, a great phrase to try to kind of get to the bottom of the cause and effect might be something like, that's not who you are, that's not how God has made you to be. So what was, what was going on that's caused that behaviour? And how can I help you to know who you are so that your behaviour can be representing who you are on the inside? Because being a Christian isn't about following rules and it's not about our behaviour and what we do, it's about what our heart is. And out of that place, our behaviour comes from that. So how can we flip that the way that we're discipling people, mentoring people, being with friends and talking to our children? I do it to myself as well, um, kind of in my journal, when I, if I'm mad at something that I've just said or I did, and then I try and write down what it, wasn't that, what it was that wasn't of the spirit and why my flesh took over in that situation. And that comes from having a powerful spirit. A weak spirit will struggle to really face those inner workings and look head on to kind of, you know, the impure emotions. But we can join the psalmist um, from Psalm 139. <coughs> Who prays, we can pray this prayer, search me, O God, and know, know my heart. <laughs> test, me, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We can ask God to search us. <laughs> Let's move on from that spelling mistake. Autocorrect. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, so let's embody it. 
I know I've mentioned parenting a bit, and I'm not yet a parent, so I'm just kind of taking punts at what might be useful. But, <laughs> but I am a daughter, and so I'm just going to kind of give a nod to my Omega crew um, who've stayed in this morning to support me. But I am a bit disappointed you didn't kind of bring a Go Kate banner or anything, so maybe next time we can have flags, phone fingers, and a thing just to give you that encouragement. Yeah. Um, guys, this proverb, it doesn't have an asterisk or a kind of disclaimer saying that Destructive words you say to your family don't count if your friends are there or if you've had a crummy day. I'm just going to let you in on a secret that I don't. It only really hit me in my early 20s that your parents have really rubbish days too. They don't have it all sorted. I know they can give the impression that they know everything and they have it all sorted, but they don't. And they need life spoken into them, so appreciate them with your words. Change the atmosphere in your household. How about um, the spirit of love instead of fear? So that means that we can speak love into situations and people who seem unlovable. Jesus had this spirit when he met a Samaritan lady at a water fountain at a well. He saw into her situation and he spoke love to her, promising fullness and life in the everlasting water he could offer. How could the ability to speak words of life with a spirit of love affect the way that you text people back? Comment on Facebook debates. Approach politicians on Twitter. What stuff you see on that? People, Christians, just as speaking filth and poison just because it's a politician and because they're hidden behind their phones. How could a spirit of love instead of fear change the way that we are engaging in the online world? What if we saw someone who we have a tendency to be a bit fearful around, a boss, a relative, a neighbour, and we chose to let a spirit of love override that? We can tell a lost person who they are and that they were made on purpose and that they're loved beyond understanding and that they have a point. You know, a few weeks ago I came out of Morrison's um, with, amongst other things, a bag of oranges. And I saw a chap sat outside asking for money and I just felt to give him an orange. Um, who doesn't need more vitamin C? So I took it over and I asked him if he wanted it and I just practically threw it at him and just walked away. Um, now, as a rule, I'm not actually scared of people that were in this situation at all, but I did feel timid in that moment. Probably a bit... You threw it or he threw it? No, I threw it, but, you know, I kind of passed it, but I didn't wait for him to engage with it, so it was a bit of a log. I could act it out later if you want the full idea of it. But yeah, no, um, he didn't throw an orange at me, that would be a brilliant story, though. Um, so um, I was walking up onto the train station to pick up a friend and then walk her back to come back into Totnes. Um, and on the, on the whole walk, I just felt so convicted that I had blessed him with an orange, sure, but what he actually needed was some human interaction, not just a game of catch. Um, so on the walk back, I, um, on the walk back, I asked my friend just to wait around the corner so I could go and speak to him one-on-one. And I apologised for such an impersonal exchange earlier. And, we, and then we just had a good chat and it just broke it. And we had a good chat. He was able to fill me in a bit on his situation. I could introduce myself and show him the respect that he's worthy of. Yes, we all have times when we give in to a spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit is in us and as such will convict us. When we give time to the Holy Spirit to speak to us and as we get to know God's voice, we can identify and act on it. It's never too late to speak words of life to someone, to apologise and to encourage them. Finally, the spirit of self-control. Having a spirit of self-control means that we are able to not fly off the handle at our kids, our parents, spouses, other drivers, 
cyclists and ourselves. <laughs> we are able to not get really cross with ourselves and really annoyed with ourselves and the thing that we just said or did. Um, we're, so if you notice, it doesn't say that God gave us a spirit of, of others' control. <laughs> it doesn't give us a spirit to control other people. We're not able to control other people as much as we might want to or we might even try to. And I'm learning that more and more as I spend time with uh, teenagers. <laughs> it could be like herding cats. The other day we were at Borough Park in the dark with um, Connect with the younger ones. And I was doing a head count. And I'm sure I counted a lot of the boys about three times. Because they're just like popping up all over the place. And I'm like, I can't control them. But what I can do is control myself with the help of God. And I can use that self-control to speak calmly, to speak patiently, to speak graciously. Um, I've recently been asked to fork out £100 for a hen-do that I can't even go on. I have to give the money because I originally said I could, and then I found out I double booked with another hen-do. So that's how ridiculous my life is at the moment. <laughs> Just hen-do's all the time. Um, and so, but, so it is my fault, but it's also not fun to just spend £100 on literally on nothing. Um, so I started typing out my reply the other morning saying I didn't want to give the money and maybe they just didn't buy as many pink napkins and bottles of Prosecco as they planned to. You know what it's like, Phil? Um, <laughs> the, text, the text was going to be going to a girl that I've never met and I read it through and I just deleted the whole thing before I sent it. It was argumentative. It was logical, yes, but it was argumentative. Um, instead, I crafted a kind of reasonable and logical text that was gracious, it was seasoned with salt, offering the money, but was it possible to see if the money from the other girls who could go would stretch to cover the accommodation I was no longer staying in. I could then press send in confidence that I had been kind and gentle, not fearful of getting a reply that showed I had offended someone. You know when you're waiting for a reply, it's going to come back and it's not going to be great, because what you said wasn't great. It's like, I suppose... You know, if you're in debt and, you know, I get my student loan letter through and you just know, before you open it, it's, it's going to be, it, you know what the news is, oh, you, you're in debt, you owe money. Um, and it kind of just brings in that nausea, a bit like poison, <laughs> right? Um, anyway, so with that text, I could press send with a clear conscience and her reply came back a few minutes later being so gracious back and apologising for having to ask and yes, that we could wait until they'd done the food shop and everything and hopefully the other girl's money would cover it. My words of life, texted in a spirit of love and not fear, shaped the nature of our interaction, and instead of preempting an awkward meeting with her at the wedding, I now look forward to meeting her, which is really nice, and a much better way for me on the day as well to feel when I do meet her. Um, as I begin to draw a close, I want to focus on a few really practical ways that we can kind of pull this ancient proverb into 2018. Uh, I'm going to throw a load out for you just to catch the ones that resonate with you and that you might need today. I'm just going to check the time as well. Yeah. So, number one, be inspired by Nike and just do it. Start speaking words of life, write them to people on little notes and cards over emails, text them out, say them, just do it. Number two, be like an elephant and never forget. Remember, it is hard to hold on to words of life when we find ourselves in the valley. When we feel like our creative spark is fading, when our joy is being stolen and our hope is being exhausted. So I've recently put together um, lots of these little packs using ring binder rings of all the kind of words of life that have been spoken to me over the years. So it's just a collection of letters and cards, 
of people that have done it, and I've got a lot. Because um, I can't bear to throw them away, but I also can't bear to just have a box of disorganisation. <laughs> so I sat and did it, and it was very cathartic in itself to do. I read things, like, I can't remember when I sent that, and it was absolutely lovely. So this is my way of remembering the words of life, because I, I need to hear them. I need people, you know, we all need people to preach the gospel to us regularly, to be God's mouthpiece. Mental health and positive self-esteem are just an absolute battlefield. And I need people to be reminding me of who I am in Christ, and I need to remind others. I've got, we've all got that mandate because we've all got a tongue. And we have the power of life or death to do that. Um, if you don't know where to start with, you know, some words of life, then open, I don't know, the book of Psalms and read through who God is, because that's where you'll find who you are. God is my refuge and my strength. God has knitted me together in my mother's womb. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. So remember those words. Number three, it links into some worship, that last point. Worship is powerful for so many reasons, but just one of them is that in our praise and our adoration to God, we declare who he is and we remember his faithfulness. In our worship, we are seeing words of life into barren places, maybe in our hearts, maybe in the congregation. That's one of the reasons why people can get so lost in sun worship, because it speaks out the huge hope in a huge God, because it begins to resurrect the parts of our lives that we thought were dead. It reawakens something in us, and we join God's agenda to see the full redemption of our lives. Number four, repent. This is the less sexy part of discipleship. It's the whole repentance part. It's the intentional choice to walk and think in the opposite direction to that which you may have been habitually moving in for a long time, if not your entire life. This might be relevant to you now if you know that you can have the tendency to speak words of death to people, to yourself, or to situations. A huge challenge here for me is how I speak about current affairs. It's too easy to see the many problems around the world as absolutely hopeless. A lot of the time, let's be honest, it's impossible to see how God's kingdom will come to a lot of situations in the world, even though we've grown up praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We almost write things off as beyond help, and in doing so, speaking, life, uh, speaking death into them. Let's not be naive about what's going on in the world, but let's still be hopeful. Let's speak life into the current affairs that are dragging the um, world down, leading to such horrific things. Repenting from speaking words of death to ourselves is also important. If I read a promise from God, but I think something else, then I need to submit to scripture and to God. For example, if you read in Psalm 139 again, that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made, but you actually think that you're a mistake, or you've actually been told by someone that you're a mistake, and you've been carrying that, then you need to trust that God is right and you are wrong. You need to, with God's help, repent of that thinking pattern and start trusting in what God says. Uh, number five, listen and receive. So, you've repented of walking down one route, but now what? Now it's time to pick a new path. It's time to be still and listen to what God is saying to you. He has given us thousands of promises in the Bible, and maybe as well you've been given specific prophetic words in your life. Let those be the energy that fuels your word and empowers your tongue. Like I said earlier, hurt people hurt people, but loved people love people. We are allowing God to fill us with his affirming words so that we can pour them out to others. And finally, forgive. One of the worst sayings that has become famous, and that some of us might have grown up being told by our grannies with a wagging finger, 
is that sticks and stones, it's about sticks and stones. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a load of rubbish. <laughs> um, I was speaking about this with Val in Open Church this week, and um, she's very wise. And as she said, um, they don't do arnica gel for bruises that the words cause on the inside of us. You know, and I was thinking, you can't, you, you can get a, a plaster cast for a broken arm that a stick or a stone might break, but you can't get a plaster cast for your heart. They don't, they don't do them. Um, unless you live on a different planet, then I know that at some stage in your life, you will have had words of death spoken to you. I don't know, how many people here couldn't sketch the inside of a red pepper in charcoal when they were 10 at primary school? They got told that they weren't good at art, and from that point they believed they weren't creative. And it took me to, years to believe that I was a creative person, and just accept that my creativity was never going to manifest itself in charcoal line drawings, but it can come out in photography and in cooking. Um, or there might be something more personal something you've let take root in your heart, and it's holding you back from being all that his God, God has made you to be. Um, I know that siblings can say some wonderful things to you, and siblings can say some less wonderful things to you. And there was just a, a simple word, like a, you know, a criticism that my brother said when I was much younger, and, and I didn't really think much of it, but over years I realised that I was becoming that thing that he had said, and I had to go on a journey of just forgiving him in my heart, and and accepting that that's not who I am, that's not who I've made, been made to be, and I want to live in the opposite direction instead. And that, and that was so freeing to do that. In a minute, there's going to be an opportunity to, to privately write down um, a poisonous word that may have spoken to you, um, and then uh, put it in the bin over here to symbolise and throw away of that word, to reject that word from your life. When we do that, we can forgive the person for planting that seed, reject the thought, and just live to a different beat. For some of you, this might be a moment of instant transformation, and the spirit just there and there breaks the lie as soon as you acknowledge it and bin it. For some of you, the roots might be deeper, and just like a tree that has sent out deep roots needs a proper root removal team to come and pull out all the roots, you may well need to ask a trusted person to walk this journey out with you. And that's good. That's why we're all together. That's why we don't sit in our rooms and listen to a podcast and call that church. Um, so there will be a trusted uh, prayer team in a bit that's going to be able to journey that with you or just start the journey with you. Um, but they're, they're not going to do it. <laughs> they're going to be asking God to do what only God can do, which is to heal our hearts and to bring wholeness and to bring truth. So just to summarise those things, just do it. Remember the words of life. Worship God declaring the truths that you need today. Repent for submitting to lies. Listen to God and receive his truths and forgive those who have spoken death and receive God's healing for this genuine pain and the eternal bruising that it can cause. Ultimately, we have the choice. The ball is in our court as to whether we encourage someone or poison them. So ask God to give you more of that spirit of power, love and self-control to be people who speak words that change atmospheres, that can make someone's day and is building the church and bringing the kingdom. Now I'm going to ask Phil to come up and play some just peaceful music for us just to create a, a place, an environment where we can pause and reflect on the proverb. We're going to have a chance to reflect on the way that we use words, a chance for God to search our hearts for any pain that's been inflicted on us by someone's words. Maybe a time to come before God with the acceptance 
that we, are, we ourselves are guilty of speaking death over others. Maybe this is the time to find the strength and perseverance that Mother Teresa did through prayer and in silent contemplation 